I have two things I wanted to start off with this morning. Uh, actually, probably three. Uh, so first, I was out last weekend, had an awesome time away uh, with my wife. It was really nice to just be di- kind of disconnected and enjoy some time together. Um, I have heard nothing but good things about my good friend Doug uh, speaking. Um, the place wasn't on fire, and I didn't get a bunch of hate mail, so that's good. Uh, no, it's a, it's a blessing. My, my heart always is that if I'm not here, that God puts someone here that loves Jesus a little bit more, that wants to speak the word a little bit more passionately than me. My heart is not ever for someone to look bad because, well, then I would, I would look great. It wouldn't be very hard, but still, I don't want... I don't, want, um, I don't want these weekend times together, although it, when you think about it, it's kind of weird sometimes, like once a week we get together and we do this singing and talking thing. And, but then if you look at it in the opposite sense of literally people with a common goal and common interest are getting together to study a scripture that people have been murdered over for thousands of years, we do it freely, then you're thinking, man, I really feel terrible for not having the priority or, or deciding, you know, I just need a me day or, or whatever it is. It, it changes. No, I haven't always been a pastor. I've had the same thoughts that everyone else has had. Speaking of being a pastor, I, I do want to say a couple of things. This month has been Pastor Appreciation Month, and I want to say that in the four or five years that I've been a pastor, three of them here at, at Rise Chapel, a little over three, uh, this is probably the most blessed as a pastor I've ever felt. You guys have went out of your way to say thank you, to send little cards. I came into my office after having some time off. The walls were covered with thank you notes from the kids. It's phenomenal. And that's not because you were forced. That's not because we do what the pastor says or we all, you know, have to pay these extra money to have to go to, you know, so we can go to heaven or whatever. I could tell it was from the heart. Now, there is one picture that has me in jail with all the kids laughing at me. So I'm not sure if that's prophetic or... I'm okay to go to jail for the gospel. I'm just not sure why the kids think it's funny in the picture. So I was thinking, there's a couple of families that I was thinking, I wonder if it's their kid. No, I'm just kidding. But it, it, it's been a blessing. And uh, I, I read some cards that were sent, some emails and texts and everything. And, uh, and it's been awesome. So thank you for that. And it's, it's exciting to be able to hear that what you're doing matters. I don't think anybody really enjoys doing something and never knowing if it really had any impact. Uh, it's important. I think we all need that kind of encouragement. So uh, I try and be a person that says thank you a lot to those that are here serving, those that I can see, uh, because I think it matters. Uh, plenty of us have been in thankless churches and thankless jobs and thankless ministries before where, uh, well, you did your duty. What are you complaining about kind of mindset? Uh, so uh, thank you guys very much. So this morning is going to be Q&A Sunday. And I will tell you, I struggled so much. Uh, we have, I think we have like 12 really juicy questions. Some of them have kind of gotten combined for today. I had originally tried to put down content for answering three questions. Um, I decided that we needed to be out of here before sunset. So I narrowed it to one. Now, what I hate, now I'm going back to three. So now... Now, now here's, here's what I'm going to do, though, and, and I'm asking you guys to pray with me because I have had more contact in the past two weeks with people who had kissed church, religion, Christianity, everything goodbye because, and, and get this, this is, this is serious, because they asked a question and the Christian said, just have faith, what's your problem? I'm sorry, faith is not blind. Blind faith is foolishness. There's nowhere in Scripture that calls us to blind faith anywhere. Faith is trusting in the character that we know of our God we serve. That's what faith is. So the answer is never just have faith. The answer is know God more. That's what the answer is. So, and that's not even the message, so take it for whatever you want at that point. So I, I, here's the questions I wanted to cover, and I'm saying this because I'm, I'm, I'm really, really getting pulled to do some during-the-week types of teachings. Uh, not necessarily a midweek. I'm actually thinking of doing something more broad-reaching, doing an actual video uh, podcast, going through question and answer, going through key topics, hot topics, and so on, and bringing in people to talk with, and so on. I don't know what God's going to do with that. I usually don't share this much detail about vision that I have, but if you could pray for me on that, if you have any, any thoughts or ideas, or you've been involved with that before, 
um, let me know. Um, but it is something that's on my heart. I don't know how to respond to it. Um, I already have two jobs and six kids, so I'm not sure how to add to that. And God will take care of the details because it's his problem. So the, here's some questions that I was going to answer. And, and, I, and I will answer these either through a video on the internet, through uh, responding directly, through the different services we have. But here's some questions that I'm not able to get to, but I will soon. What happens to those who follow t- false teachers and doctrines but say they believe in Jesus? Do they still go to heaven if they end up losing their inheritance? Or do they end up losing their inheritance? My, my short answer to that is going to heaven is based only on devotion to the one who runs the place. That's my short answer. If we add anything else to heaven's entrance criteria, we've missed the mark of Jesus. But there's a lot of other answers to add to that from Scripture and how to deal with false teachers. So I'll actually go into that at another time. The other question which was answered in parallel with that one was, how does one really hear the voice of God? How do you navigate life and discern his voice among a million others? It's a great question. There's a lot of other things to connect that with, but it goes back to my first point about faith. That point being that it's not a matter of, I'm just going to feel it and know it. If you find out you're going to know someone 20 years from now and they call you, will you know who they are? No. Will you recognize their voice? No. But if they called you up and you already knew their voice and you knew their character and you knew their sick humor or whatever, as soon as they got on the phone and they started joking around, you're going, ah, that's Joe. You know who it is immediately. Why? Because you have that relationship. You're constantly looking for him. And there are ways that he's already spoken to understand his character. See, if we look at the Bible as simply a book of do's and don'ts or a history book, or even with truths that we should follow, we actually miss the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is theology. Done. There are cults that have been begun on one verse about children. There are cults that have begun about one verse here and there. But it's not about science. It's not about those things. It's about how we relate with our God. God is not saying, here's what you need to do. God is saying, here's who I am in Scripture. And it is so freeing to read the Bible that way because now we're going into it going, what can I learn about my God? We don't learn from people by understanding the rules. If I told you, here's the rules for my house, and I put them on a piece of paper, do you know me at all outside of the fact that I'm a jerk? No. No, you make a lot of assumptions because he's got all these rules. Why would you have all these rules? Because rules without relationship equals rebellion. You've got to have that relationship. You've got to have that time from God. All right. I will answer those questions in a tremendous amount of detail in the future. Today's question that I'll go into detail on, question was actually the third question. How can I find the desire to truly forgive those who have wronged me? Has anybody here ever struggled with forgiveness? Yeah. All of us have. All of us do. What I want to challenge us with this morning is that this teaching is not going to be a teaching that we can walk out of and go, well, that was, that was a really nice one. I feel good afterwards. This is going to be, how many of you, this is a word that's been in conversation. I had a really long, logical discussion with a, an atheist this week, and, and, and I used a lot of big words. I had fun because they, they said Christians are stupid. So I used well, big words the whole time. And I, and I, and I said something to him. Uh, I said, well, that's a false dichotomy. So you're, you're bringing up two things that aren't necessarily in competition. It isn't either or in this case. So a dichotomy is something where you have two opposing sides, if you, if you don't understand what a dichotomy is. And, and I don't mean that to be insulting. I mean that to be a good communicator. This teaching really is dichotomous. The, the, the choice we have as we talk about forgiveness is we can either continue in where we're at without forgiving Or we can actually step into the freedom that God has for us. And I'm not saying that to be emotional. I'm saying that unforgiveness, I will tell you, I will challenge you from Scripture, unforgiveness is blasphemy. And I'll go into that in a minute. We can't live in that. That's not what God has called us to. God has not called us to be God and hold sins against others. God has said he is God and has forgiven all sins. So what do we do with that? You're going to get a paper handed out to you. This paper has got a forgiveness statement on it. No, the teaching's not done because it has only just begun. Here's what you'll notice. If I ever get a weekend off, I'm like 10 times as fired up because I've had more time to think and process things. So 
Get your seatbelt on. Put your, put your padded, uh, your pillow in the back seat of your pants. Because with this question, we have to start answering a couple things. We have to actually get into what is forgiveness, what is unforgiveness. We have to get into what is an apology, what is reconciliation. These are all the pieces of this forgiveness process. And if any of you have ever been gripped by a bitterness, by an unforgiveness before in your life, and then it was gone, you know exactly what I'm talking about, the freedom that comes from that. I had a scenario one time in my life where, I'll share it later. I'll I'll save it for the end of the teaching. Here's what we're going to do. If you do not take notes, anybody have a bulletin? Hold one of the bulletins up in the air if you got one. Just hold it up. You see the back of that bulletin? It's a bunch of blank lines. Take notes. Take notes today. Go into this because we're going to dig into some scripture. We're going to dig into some key points on what forgiveness is and how we need to approach it in our life. So first off, we have to define what is forgiveness. If this question is asked, someone has to say, well, what is forgiveness then? How do I have a desire to do something if I don't understand it? Many of us believe forgiveness is a conditional relationship with somebody where they say, I'm sorry, and you say, I forgive you, and you move on about it. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is actually tied to the word agape, which means unconditional care. So forgiveness is, if we think about the definition of forgiveness, the ultimate definition of forgiveness is Jesus and his work. And I don't say that as a platitude. I don't say that as something of, well, yes, that's what you should say in a church. Jesus is the ultimate example for forgiveness. He is. Think of all that we did to him. Romans 5.8, while we were in the depths, in the dirtiest of our sin, he what? He waited for us to get better so he could forgive us. No. Every single one of us. And I even say, for me, being a Christian since I was around five years old, remembering following him through all that time, I'm a worse sinner because I had his redemption and I still sinned. And he still forgave me. So when we think of the definition of forgiveness, here's what I want you to consider this morning. Choosing that the person who wronged you, wronged me, owes me nothing. Choosing that the, per- the, choosing that the person that wronged me owes me nothing. Choosing. I didn't say telling. I didn't say thinking. I didn't say acting. We have to cho- make a choice We have to choose that whatever it is we think is wrong against us, we give up. We give up and say, you know what, you don't don't owe me. Forgiveness is a debt that we we will hold on to, and we can either choose to remove that debt or hold on to it like a dirty banker. No, I'm going to make sure your life is miserable. Here's the irony of unforgiveness, though. It removes the recording of a wrong that was done to me in my life. I don't keep playing it over and over in my mind. And then the opposite side of it is, if I do continue to not forgive, I'm drinking gallons of poison and staring at the person hoping they die. That's how dangerous and foolish unforgiveness is for all of us. How can you say that, Joe? You're really really preaching hard to me. I'm preaching from my own conviction. That God has worked on inside of my life. That as I drink gallons, you know, I've got a, a kegerator full of bitterness that I drink every single day, hoping that all the people that have done something wrong to me get sick and die. My, my family, we were reading Psalm 55 the other, the other day, and my wife was like, oh, I really like the end of the psalm, and it says, I cast all my cares on you. And I'm like, I like Psalm 55, verse 12, where it says, crush them, make them die, make them go to death alive, you know. The origin of evil is their heart, you know. And I'm thinking, it was ironic, it was funny, but that's what bitterness is. If there's one person, if I could, if I could have each of us think, who's the one person that comes up in your mind that makes your stomach turn? We can all think of that person. Some of us, it's already rolling, like, yeah, the film's rolling, I can keep going. It's not even a person, it's, it's these people bitterness. We have said, yeah, yeah, God forgave you, but I don't. That means you're God. His forgiveness is the highest of all. The sins all go against him in the end. 
If he can forgive and I don't, I am a blasphemer for not forgiving. That's why in, in, in different parts of Scripture, Jesus says, if you're not forgiving, I can't forgive you. Why? Because we've chosen that we're God. If we choose that we're God by not forgiving, we can't have Jesus because we don't need him. We're God. So when we get into to forgiveness and unforgiveness, it's important to realize that forgiveness itself is actually conditioned less. It doesn't matter if you've even stopped doing that to me. I still have to forgive. Now, there's two parts to this, though. Don't end in your mind. Don't stop listening to me in this teaching right now because we're building a case. The next piece for us to consider is forgiveness is choosing to say, I forgive. You see on your paper there, there's a forgiveness statement with blanks in it. You all can fill out something in those blanks right now. Don't do it. But you can fill something out in those blanks right now. I will tell you, every single time I've had counseling or just friends one-to-one -one or even me, my, myself, whatever English that was I just spoke, me, myself, I can't make that statement until I really have let my heart just be ripped open by God. I have sat in my prayer time before. There was a drunk driver that nearly killed my mother and my brother. My brother was trapped in the car, accordioned up, leg was sideways, face was tore up, tongue was hanging out, fingers were all over the place. And that image kept going in my mind, and I saw the drunk driver every time. And I had to sit there, and I had to say, God, I don't forgive him. I want him to be hurt. I don't want him to die. I want him to stay alive during all of it. You're pretty sick, Pastor Joe. I'm a human just like you. Don't judge me. We all struggle with that. We struggle with that bitterness. You may not be as dark as I am, or maybe you don't want to admit it like I do. But we struggle with that forgiveness, especially when it's a family member, when it's life on the line. Well, forgiveness operates without condition. It operates without that connection. I had to choose. And I remember yelling and like, how many of you have ever had one of those ugly cries before? It was like, <clears throat> just drool and snot and noise everywhere. That's what this was, man. I was in my devotion time and I'm just like, I... It's like a two-cycle engine. I couldn't get it out. And when it came out, I just... Bible is soaking wet, notes are soaking wet, and immediately it was like, it was like some kind of like alien came out of my body. It was gone. I didn't have the hate anymore. I began to pray for this man's salvation, for him to actually have Christians come into his life and invade his life. That if this wasn't the bottom of his life, the manslaughter charges that he was up against or the attempted manslaughter, all these things, if this wasn't the bottom of his life, that God would take him there so what? So that he can suffer? No, so that he can know Jesus. That was what God changed in me. I didn't start there. But that's where God wanted me to end. And it wasn't a moment. I still believe it today. I still want that man to know Jesus. I don't know if he does. But here is something else. Many of us have been hurt tremendously by someone who's still around. And some people have heard from the church, from, from Christian groups, you just need to forgive and forget. That is a horrific platitude. I agree with it, but it's out of context if you just say it to somebody. Because forgiving is forgetting, but it's not trusting. It's not trusting. I've been praying for a group of people. This was years ago, and I've been praying for them. And was praying that the wife would get out of a relationship that she was in, at least just get away and separate for a while because it was an abusive relationship, but there was never any charges, there was never any, any good evidence. And finally, she, she had a, a moment of clarity and got away. And then some foolish teaching got into what she was listening to, and she said, I believe God's telling me to forgive and forget and go back with him. And I said, he's just going to beat you and next time kill you if you do this. Why are you doing this? God says forgive. God says forgive. God also says don't be stupid. There's no reason to trust him until he proves it. And there are many other situations in our life. 
God does not say that forgiveness equals trust. God does not say that forgiveness equals no more consequences. How many of us got saved and we still had the bum arm from that drunken brawl we had? Yeah. How many of us, after we got saved and all of the forgiveness covered our life, we still had these consequences from our sin? That's exactly it. Why? Because the wages of sin are always paid. We have those consequences to deal with. Now we have the grace of God to work through those. We have the partnership with Christ that we can survive through those consequences and one day end our life with Him. But life just doesn't, boom, beam us up, Scotty, and everything's perfect when we follow Jesus. That's not how it works. Forgiveness is based on the unconditional love of Jesus working inside of me to make those changes. See, forgiveness itself is an act that I believe personally for me has to happen almost daily. There are so many things that I hold against just the littlest thing in people's lives, and I didn't even realize it. Just the littlest things. Someone pulls out and cuts me off on the road. I am the worst. I'm the worst. Something happens wrong at the store. Something happens wrong in a situation. I see something happen on the internet. Because we know that's all reality, right? The internet. Everybody's real. Everybody's honest. Everybody's completely um, transparent, right? The only real people we know are the ones that are online. But yet we sit there and we hold it against them. So for some of us, forgiveness should have happened 30, 40, 50 years ago. And we've just been holding on to it. We go to that little box every once in a while and we feel that power, that bitterness. And I'm not going to lie, it is power. It's placing ourselves in the position of God. It's reciting the arguments over and over again, trying to have just one more little thing. If I could have said this, they would have listened, and then we wouldn't have this problem. They just need to listen, just need to change. If I could just tell them what I think. Again, sharing from my own experiences in my life. So let's look at what is unforgiveness, because we've kind of talked about that. Remember, let me just reread the question. Unforgive, or forgiveness, how can I find the desire to truly forgive those who have wronged me? The first thing we went into is we can't forgive unless we know what forgiveness is, right? So let's understand where we're at now because we're, many of us, I would, I would venture to say that all of us, and that's probably bold, have somewhere that we haven't forgiven someone. Somewhere. That we've held on to something, whatever it is. So what is unforgiveness? What does it look like? Well, for unforgiveness is remembering and reminding of the wrongs against you. It's, it's constantly having that replay constantly reminding others of the wrongs that have happened in your life. The place where this is the most vicious is in the family, starting in marriage. How many of us have constantly heard about the mistake we've made today or years in the past? Don't raise your hand. Oh my gosh, I don't need more marriage counseling. And does that ever make, so the one who did the wrong, does that ever make you feel like, you're right, I accept your apology again? No, it feels horrible for your wrong to constantly be going, look at here, sin that can't be forgiven that I'm holding on to, because that's what unforgiveness is. Oh, yeah, Jesus forgives you, but not me. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a point where you should be able to joke, you should be able to talk. It's definitely not within five minutes of the offense. You should give some time for things to cool off. What I'm saying is that we always replay the wrongs and we keep those people in that context. If, if something happened with our spouse or our, our family member or our parents or whatever, every time they come and talk to us or anybody in that same position comes and talks to us, we just put that context on them and go, well, last time an authority figure did this, here's what happened to me. So no, they're not getting my trust. But they didn't do that to you. They didn't do it at all. And so unforgiveness begins to infect our life in other areas where we had a bad relationship with something or someone at one point and it turns into a disease and puts its roots into so many other areas of our life. That's why Scripture says do not even let a root of bitterness start to build up in between you. Don't let anything touch you. Remembering and reminding of the wrongs 
that were against us is unforgiveness. We constantly get caught up in trying to find a way, and I'm the worst. How many of you, how many of you get into like those, those shower thoughts where you're like, it's after an argument with somebody or with your spouse, and you're like, man, that, I should have gone back and said that. That would have been a good one. That would have totally shut them down. Man, totally. I remember I was a lot more introverted in junior high and elementary school, and my shower thoughts were constantly like these amazing comebacks. Like I was the wittiest person in the shower, but getting out of the shower, drying off, put my clothes on, it's like, never mind. I completely changed in ninth grade. There's stories I can tell later. They're quite self-deprecating, but I praise God for it, though. See, I've said this point several times, and we'll go over it pretty quickly, but choosing to not forgive says that our forgiveness is higher than God's. If God can forgive this bucket of sin, and I hold on to this, uh-uh, if God can forgive the ocean of sin, and I hold on to this thimble, and every once in a while, shake it and look at the person. You see this? You see what you did to me? I'm putting myself as God. Because God already forgave that ocean. And I went over to it, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. You see what they did to me, God? Think of this. Put yourself, put your mind in that picture. You're walking to God while he's swimming in the ocean of forgiveness, and you go, God, do you see what they did to me? And Jesus is like, yep, I'm swimming in it. Romans 5, 8. You didn't get killed by the people you love, did you? No. You didn't for all time have your entire creation curse your name, hate you, and blame you for things you never did, and yet still forgive them, did you? No. Put the thimble in here. Give the thimble back to me, he says. Let go of it, he says. We're not God. When we choose to not forgive, we say, my forgiveness is higher. His work is finished. All I do is rest in his forgiveness. Hey, if God can forgive you of this, I can forgive you of that. If God can forgive me of this, I can forgive you of that. It's important for us to realize because when we place ourselves in the position of God, we remove him from our life. We push him aside from having any effect in our hearts. And that's why God says, if you're not forgiving, I can't forgive you because we have placed ourselves in the Redeemer's seat. And we have to remember that. The first thing in forgiveness on the person that was wronged is that choice to say, I forgive. But there's another side. Because Scripture tells us that if you come to the altar, meaning you come before God and you know that someone was hurt by you, that someone has something against you, that it's also your job to make a choice to try and reconcile. That if you feel like, man, I just feel like this person has something against me, or you know you mistook something, or you know you missaid something, and you're just like, you know what, they just need to get over themselves. I had a friend of mine that was like that. I just got devastated because I found out someone misheard what I said, and they just, poof, they disappeared in my life. And I didn't even make the connection on why they had disappeared, that it was something I had said. And, and I talked to a friend of mine, he goes, oh, yeah, I knew that forever. They were talking to me all the time. Why didn't you tell me? He's like, Joe, water under the bridge. But no, it's not. He, he thought that I had said all these things about him, and I didn't say any of those. It was all a lie. I've got to apologize. We didn't do anything. I did. I didn't try and correct it. There's something that he perceives came from me. i got to own it. But you didn't do anything, Joe. He thinks I did. I've got to try and fix this. To own it, to build that relationship back. So apology is a piece we need to consider. Apology is this. It says, I own this. I'm sorry. I'm guilty for what I did. Now, see, some of us may be a very forgiving person. We may be a very forgiving and forgetting person. We can advance through life perfectly fine, water off a duck's back. We actually do very well at that. But what we don't do very well at, because we're so prideful about being forgiving, is we never say sorry. We have an attitude of, listen, get over it. Be like me. Be forgiving. Doesn't work. Not at all. The apology says, I own this. Yes, I may have been swinging my arms around and hit you, and I didn't want to hit you, but I hit you. It was me. I did it, and I'm sorry, and I didn't want to hurt you, but I did. 
There's a guilt that we say. You say, I'm the one that owes the debt to you, and I am paying it back by saying, I am sorry. It makes it a lot easier for the forgiver if they're struggling, and it reconciles so much. And it is so important. Now, I'm not saying false shame. I'm not saying false apologies. This person I talked about earlier of having the abusive relationship came and apologized to this abusive husband who we, we knew and didn't deserve an apology. There are some situations where I could see, okay, I can see where that may be an area that they want to apologize and say, I'm sorry for this. I should have never done these things to you or whatever. But this person began to apologize for all the accusations that were on their life from this horrible person. You're right, I'm sorry that I'm horrible. You're right that I'm sorry I'm this. I'm sorry this, I'm sorry this. That's not a true apology. That's owning guilt that's not yours. What I'm talking about here in apology is true things that were done wrong from the evil in our heart or the accident of our life that we apologize for. And I want us to realize this. How, how many of you have ever heard any songs by Sir Mix-a-Lot? Raise your hand. It's not a sin. Raise your hand. All right. Sir Mix-a-Lot doesn't like this next point, okay? Let's see if you guys get it. <laughs> True apology is but less. There is no but in an apology. Now, I will share with you very openly that I, I held this statement over my wife in the early part of our marriage. She would apologize and she'd say, I'm sorry, but. And, and, and trust me, I would do the same. And I would stop and I'd go, nope, not accepted. And, I, and I'd walk away. Now, I'm just as big of a mean person for not forgiving unconditionally. And I, I'm not accepting your apology because I'm a baby. I'm not going to accept your apology until you say, and. And I do it constantly. Now, some of that was generated by my heart, but 99.9% of it was generated by pride, believing I didn't have anything to do, which I did. But true apology is but less. What do I mean by that? Well, if, if I was to, let's just say this. If I was to say something mean to you, and, and you started crying, and, and, and I said, you know, I'm really sorry, but when you do that, it irritates the snot out of me. That means I'm not apologizing. An apology that includes but is saying, I'm sorry, but if you're weak enough to need an apology, I guess I can give it to you. That's what the but means. I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings, but you're a wimp if it hurts your feelings, is what we say. Throw the apology in the trash. I've had apologies that I've given to family members and whoever. I'm like, I'm sorry, but uh, never mind, restarting. <laughs> I am sorry. The other thing that we don't want to include in our apologies is the word if. I'm sorry if you think I hurt you. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're such a pansy you can't handle my personality is what I just said. If we use the word if, we say, I'm sorry, and you own this problem because you can't handle it. We don't own it. Remember the previous thing on apology. We have to own what we did. But a true apology says, I am sorry for the way that I used my words. That. And I never want to hurt you again. I am sorry for the way I use my words. If that bothered you, I truly apologize. But it just really irritates me when you get that way. Which one sounds more genuine? I like the second one, Pastor. I don't have to have any ownership at all. That's our problem, isn't it? I am sorry that and. And you know what? Sometimes it's hard. I, I was, this was about a year ago, I was doing some marriage counseling, and this is one of the things we go through because most marriage struggles get with unforgiveness and hurt and pain that just get covered up. And we're talking with husband and wife, and I'm not going to tell you which one it was or who it was, but the first few minutes, they couldn't say this. They, they couldn't say, I'm sorry. They always had to say, but. They always had to say, if, because the hurt was so deep. They could not Oh, because they're like, but they haven't apologized to me. They had an unforgiveness and an apology problem. 
See, when we apologize and we say that and we say and, it says, I'm not conditioned on this apology. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you respond good to it. I am truly sorry for what I did. And it transforms. That apology is transforming. I'm sorry that and. So as we think about forgiveness and unforgiveness, one of the things that, I guess the questions that come up is, yeah, these are all great. You've thrown a few things out there, Joe, and, and I understand it. And yeah, this is fun. I feel worse about myself. Thank you. Happy Cloudy Sunday. The question that we have to look at is, why should I do either of them? I've done just fine for the past 30 years, for the past 40 years. I have got a cavern inside my body. I can shove all this pain into it. I can live a perfectly fine, fine life. I'm gagging on the unforgiveness. I'm gagging on the lack of apology. But I'm making it, Joe. So why do I need to do this? Why does it even matter? Well, I think for the most part, one of the things we've talked about has been the work of Christ in our life. And, and I, can, I can't. I, I wanted to, to not have something feel like it was like this churchy answer or, or this answer that felt like it's what everybody's heard before, but I can't get away in Scripture on the work of God. And I, and I see that God sets the ultimate example and commanded us to forgive like Him. I don't know of any other authority I can appeal to and say, this is why we should do it. Honestly, God says so. There is so much that he's done for us in our life. He said so. And if he says to do it, he gives the provision to walk through it. He doesn't say, hike that mountain, quadriplegic. Because if he did, he'd make you fly. Our God never calls us to the impossible without him accomplishing it through us. He calls us to our impossible. Because we're so stinking prideful, we'd take the credit if we could do it ourselves. He calls us to our impossible, not his. You want to know what was impossible for me six, seven years ago when God said something? He said, Joe, take you, your six kids, and your debt, and go to Alaska and start a church in a few years. I said, okay, that's cool, God. That's your problem. You let me know when I'm supposed to go. We got up here, had zero debt, got all six kids up here, pretty sure, and started up doing ministry here. God always will call us to the impossible, but it's our impossible, not his. Yeah, forgiving someone is impossible for me. Impossible. I can't do it. But because of God, I can. God showed us the greatest example. That before we were even wanting repentance, before we were even wanting his existence in our life, he died for us and said, I love you and forgive you. I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But it's how our God works. Here's some things. I want to go through some scripture with you guys. Psalm 103, and I used Old and New Testament throughout here because a lot of people believe that the Old Testament God is vengeful and nasty, which is not true. If you understand the context of the Old Testament, you realize that God dealt very sternly with the religious people, but very gently, very carefully with the non-religious. In fact, the pagans got some of the best treatment sometimes. And this has always, always been his stance. Romans 3 and 4 talk about that the righteousness that Abraham received was not because of Abraham's actions. It was because of Abraham's what? His belief that God would do what he said he would do. It didn't have to do with following the law. It didn't have to do with being good enough. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. But Joe, that's Old Testament because God's always been the business of forgiving. Always. Boy, I wish I could go into the theology of this verse and why this makes sense. And, and, and so just stay in that confusion and trust that Scripture will be revealed over time. We're going to have some good deep theology here coming up in the next few months. But that's God's character is forgiveness of sins. That's why when David's writing a psalm, he says, man, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Man, that is a good feeling to know that we're forgiven. To know that it's not held against the highest of all, the creator, the almighty, the most high. 
That is a good feeling. Imagine what our friend or our parents or our spouse or our other people around us would feel if we handed that same forgiveness to them for something horrible they don't even know how to apologize for. That's freedom for me and for them. That's change for me and for them. Next verse here. In Isaiah, God is is speaking through the prophet and sharing more of his character. He says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and I will never think of them again. Do you realize that? When Paul writes Romans 8, he's not saying, oh, it's just because of this that Jesus did. No, it's because of the character of God is fulfilled now available to all that there is therefore now no condemnation because the character of God can be known to all through Jesus now. Man, that's good stuff. Let's get an amen in here. I'm not going to remember them. I remind myself. I remind you. You remind me. We all are like, hey, hey, I smell some sin over there, Pastor. I smell it. You smell like sin. I'm like, well, I don't smell it. I've got a spiritual cold. God doesn't smell it anymore. He doesn't see it anymore. It's gone. So if I hold on to it, then I am putting myself a step higher because, yeah, sure, sure, the almighty creator of the entire universe and time itself forgave you, but uh, I don't. Who are we? And I'm saying that to myself. How could I ever take that stance? Why, why have I never been struck by lightning? That's, that we'll get into grace later on. How dare I? It's like standing up on a strong way. Huh, he forgave you, but I didn't. How could I do that? Matthew 18, Peter, captain talks a lot and captain religious at the time, says, okay, okay, I get it. So here we go, here we go. And, and, and the ancient Near East community, the Middle Eastern community, lives, lives on unforgiveness, breathes through that. It's a control mechanism. It even got into other religions and movements and things like that that we've all experienced even over here. We may even come out of a religion like that. Peter says this, okay, okay. At, at that point, Peter got up, the nerve to ask and says, oh, master, how many times should I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Like the number of completion, like I'm done at seven, right, God? Peter's standing up and all the guys like, you jerk, man, you look so much holier than me. Can't believe you. Peter's got it. It's the number of completion. That, that's complete. It's a great number to pick, isn't it? Jesus replied seven, hardly. Try a number you can't even think about. 70 times 7. 70 times 7. Jesus wasn't giving them a formula. Oh, whew, okay. As soon as I get to 490, then I'm done. I forgive you, 489. I forgive you. Do it again, I promise. Do it again. Do it again. I don't have to forgive you. I've done 490 times. I don't have to forgive you. No, Jesus wasn't giving a formula. He was giving an unreachable number because our memory, unless we're really weird, hateful, hurtful people, it would stop mattering. That Peter trying to pick the perfect number of completion would all of a sudden go, you're you're right, Peter, it's seven. I've been hiding that for years. No. No. It's that we would never stop forgiving. Why? Because the forgiveness that we have residing in us is the forgiveness of Jesus. And if it has an end, then this is pointless as a Christian. There's no point. If I can find the end of Jesus' forgiveness, trust me, I will have walked past it a long time ago. But there is no end. There is no end. So Jesus makes it so clear. It's like, listen, you will have me inside of you giving you the power to forgive through agape. There is no end to the how many times you're going to be answering this question of forgiveness. There's no end. So Peter asks a question. I think all of us have said, God, when do I have to keep forgiving? When do I have to keep looking at this? Well, here's what I want you all to look at. And you write this down. This is going to be in your, your notes for a... Um, the homework this week. Jesus tells a parable. I'm going to super paraphrase it real quick. We don't have time to turn there this morning. Jesus tells a parable, Matthew chapter 18, 23 through 
uh, 35, after this discussion, and Jesus talks about an amazing amount of forgiveness that happened to someone, and then what that person did in response, and read that parable as if it's you, as if it's me. Personally connect with that, because that's where we all struggle. Matthew 18, 23 through 35, read that for your homework and your devotion time coming up this week. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close a little differently today. Don't get excited because we ain't closing yet. We're going to close a little differently. My name's not Doug. I heard he let you out early. He's going to pay for that one. We're going to do, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to go through a couple of last points for application. You have in front of you a paper. I'm going to ask if one of the ushers could just prepare um, a trash can that we're going to put right here at the front of the, the sanctuary. And that trash can is going to contain the things that we're forgiving. See that piece of paper in front of you? You're going to write on there that forgiveness. And we're going to throw it away. We're going to give it to God. Because we have to answer the question of how can I? Now, I'm not teaching on forgiveness without realizing that there are some horrific, evil things that have happened to every single one of you or someone in your family. And there was a time two months ago when I got done doing counseling where I had, ha I had had conversations with people that were struggling with the following. Two different people were, were struggling with suicide. One had succeeded. Uh, several different marriages. Someone else finally opened up and confessed how much they had been abused sexually as a young child. And then I had three or four other things, people that I can't even talk about right now, that are not Christians that decided to stay in the filth of their sin. And I had to sit in my truck and just weep before going home because it was too heavy. It was too much to know. So I will tell you that as I speak this and as I talk about how can I, I don't know how hard your decisions are, but I can tell you that through the work of God, he wants to set you free. You have unforgiveness. I know that. Why do I say that? Because you're human. And I'm not saying that to accuse. I'm saying that because God wants to set every one of you to be more free than you are right now. He wants all of that thrown, and we find so many ways, and I'm telling you right, I find so many ways to move him off and get one of my cheeks on the throne when I choose unforgiveness. So how can I, how can I forgive? Well, first off, be honest. Don't minimize the wrong that was done to you in your life. God didn't. God saw every single detailed sin of all creation from beginning to end when he died. That's why he said, if there's any way to not go through this, you just let me know, Father. The horrific nature of being separated by sin, he knew in full detail. So be honest. God, this hurts. This is what happened to me. Lay it out in front of him. The next thing that we have to do in this is admit the hurt. Stop trying to be tough. There's nothing tough about it. If you were abused, weep. If you've got hurt from somebody in your past, weep. It hurts. And what happens when we stuff the hurt down and we're Mr. Tough Guy or Mrs. Tough Girl and we stuff it down and we stuff it down, it comes out on the people we care the most about. And in a way, they never sinned against us, but they will pay. Admit it. Be honest. This hurts. There are people that I've met with in counsel before that every time you bring up that hurt, they are weeping in the office and they are get suicidal if we don't work with them because it is hurt so deep. It's real. I'm not here to give you some Christianese platitude of just trust Jesus. No, this hurts. If you get stabbed in the gut, you're not going to go, I got it, just a few stitches and I'll be fine. No. You're going to pull the sword out and go, bleeding, bleeding, dying right here, hurts bad. Because that's the truth. That's the reality. And don't stop on the hurt. Don't stop on the reality of the hurt because the reality past hurt is that God heals hurts. Hear what I'm saying here. Christianity is the only religion, the only thing in life that gives help for healing. 
Every relationship that Christ talks about in the New Testament, even the relationships that the Jews were to have with those outside of them was to be healing. Every marriage is a healing relationship. You should be growing closer together and to God. Every relationship in family, every relationship at work between Christians or Christians to others is healing, healing. Why? Because Christ came to heal. And when we admit that hurt and we hold on to that hurt and we never progress to God being our healer, we never get out of this. God is our healer. Ask him. Ask him. I remember listening to a lady one time who was struggling with hurt, and she just stopped. She's like, forget it. This hurts. And Daddy, I just, I, Papa, I just, I need you to help me. And it was real and genuine. And this is the hardest part. that we need to do and say it. We need to do, and my challenge for you right now is this, we need to do by actually taking the time and writing it out on the paper. And I can't be with each one of you this week and go, hey, did you follow through with that forgiveness? Did you talk to that person? Did you get with them and say, I forgive you? That's between you and God. But I want to facilitate that first part of writing it down do and say it. God, we, we leave these things there because your forgiveness is great enough. We don't, we don't bypass the hurt and the pain. Not even you did, God. You said, man, this hurts. I don't want to go through this, but I love them. But we give it to you, God. We ask for your work and your healing in our life. And God, as we go about this week, as you begin to call us to forgiveness more and more in our hearts, God, I pray that we would truly forgive. That we would take the actions to do what you've called us to do, God. That we would be used as only you can, Lord. That we would have no more hindrances in our heart, no more hindrances in our life, nothing holding us back, nothing limiting us because we've chosen to hold on to something as if we are God and we are not God. We say that now. I am not God. I'm sorry, God. While we're all standing this morning as every eye is closed, I want to just ask, because the first apology and forgiveness that has to happen is we have to ask for God's forgiveness and we have to apologize for what we've done against him. And that's what becoming a Christian is. And I want to ask if there's anyone this morning, standing or sitting, if you want to pray, to apologize to God and to ask for his forgiveness. And I don't care if it's the first time or the hundredth time. If you've really got to get your heart right, raise your hand. I want to pray with you this morning. Amen. 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 God, I, I ask right now that, that you would forgive me. And I pray that that forgiveness would overflow out of me to others, that I could and would forgive others, God. Forgive me for my grudges, for my anger, for my bitterness, for my nastiness. Please work inside of me, God. Thank you for forgiving me, Jesus. Amen.